Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. We are continuing along with our 2021 season outlooks. We're going to be going with the Las Vegas Aces today. And I'll say it now, Stephen, we were wrong in 2020 about the Las Vegas Aces. Boy, were we uh, wrong in several fronts. Uh, we were wrong about some individual performances. We were wrong about the team's outlook overall. Uh, yeah, we're not very smart. And- no, no, and, and we have no problem admitting that, so we, we like to have fun with this. But, Stephen, get us into the, the, the brass tacks here. Like, how good were the Aces in 2020? They were 18-4, and four, good for the number one seed in the league. They were second in net rating. A comfortable second. They were uh, 10.0 net rating. They were five points behind number one team Seattle, four and a half points ahead of the number three team. So, you know, pretty clearly the number two team in the league. They were second in offensive rating at 107.3, second in defensive rating at 97.2. And along with Seattle, the only two teams in the top four in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They, of course, uh, defeated the Connecticut Sun in five games in the semifinals before getting swept out of the WNBA finals. Yeah, and that, that uh, Connecticut series was pretty good. We already talked about it a lot uh, when we were talking about the Connecticut Sun, but that was, that was a really fun series. That was a really tough series. And then, I mean, being swept by the Seattle Storm, by that Seattle Storm team, I don't think any shame in that. Uh, so, yeah, to say the Aces had a successful 2020, I think would be a pretty big understatement considering the expectations for the team heading into the season. You've got some some metrics that really jump out, Stephen. Yeah, so how how this team was able to be successful, I think in, in very Bill Lambier fashion in a lot of ways, they just absolutely dominated the rim on both ends of the court. They were number one in proportion of shots around the rim, both uh, leading in offense and then allowing the lowest frequency on defense. They were number one in free throw attempt rate on both ends of the court, highest free throw attempt rate for their own offense, uh, lowest free throw attempt rate allowed on defense. They were number one in percentage of points coming inside the paint uh, and from two overall. So of course, uh, number 12 in percentage of points coming from behind the arc. And they were 12th, as we could imagine, in three-point attempt rate, you know, not just how many points they were scoring as a proportion, but how often they were just taking field goal attempts from there. And then continuing true Bill Lambier fashion, they were number three in transition frequency, uh, sixth in efficiency. But as we always say, frequency is what you really look for, you know, how often you're getting out and running because those those opportunities are just inherently more efficient than half-court opportunities. So you really want to see your frequency driven up there if possible. Any reaction to any of that before we get into some of the, I guess, uh, more specifics, I suppose? Well, the, uh, the free throw rate uh, differential, I like to call it, because they're, they're number one free throw rate on offense and number one in free throw rate on defense, like meaning they allow the fewest proportion of free throws to field goals attempted. That, that's one of the main reasons, I think, why this 2020 Aces team kind of overperformed relative to our expectations. Not that I wasn't expecting the Aces to not draw a lot of fouls because when you have players like Asia Wilson, of course, you're going to get to the line a ton. But when you're also able to limit the other team from getting to the foul line a lot, I mean, that's one thing that is it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. When you're maximize, maximizing your possessions on offense, that's one thing. When you're maximizing your possessions on defense, that's a total, that's, that's a different story. Because, you know, Stephen, when you talk about, I know a lot of, uh, when people talk about team defense, a major sticking point is, well, what is the shot distribution? Like, what kind of shots are you allowing on defense? Are you forcing the opponent into tough, contested mid-range shots? Are you allowing them to take a lot of wide open three-pointers? Are you allowing them to take a lot of shots at the rim? We talk about that when we talk about defense. But another thing is, how often are you allowing them to get to the free throw line? And the Aces just did a great job of not fouling. 
which I think is pretty remarkable considering how physical of a team they are, you know? Yeah, and it wasn't necessarily a strength of theirs the previous season um, yeah. when maybe it could be argued that they had better defensive talent, maybe not, but you know, they were just kind of average in 2019. And then of course, just never allowed their opponents to get to the line in 2020, which is like you're saying, I mean, you really can't overstate how crucial that is, especially given like how comfortably they were number one. And when you consider that they were number one offensively as well, that's, that's really, really impressive. It is. Okay. Carry on. So just some more, I guess, um, of their, play types that that they were successful in also they were the lowest turnover rate in the league that that is i think a little bit surprising even though it is something that they're perpetually good at but to be able to play with such a fast pace and get out in transition so frequently you know those two things you would think kind of would not correlate but they they have for the the aces they were also second in individual post scoring and number one in overall post offense with the second highest frequency Uh, i don't think there's any real surprise there wilson was 71st percentile when you include passing and 60th percentile in um, individual offense can be obviously much lower volume um, but 93rd percentile as an individual post scorer in 90th percentile overall so hamby as we'll get to was uh, a very effective post player when she got down there you know, Man. the turnovers, Stephen, that's another thing. Um, another reason, I, you know, when I said we were wrong about the Aces, you know, there are a lot of things that the Aces did well that I think we were expecting them to do and some other things that I wasn't expecting them to do. And the turnovers, that's the one thing. I'm not a huge Danielle Robinson fan, but I think we need to give her flowers here. I mean, the team, you, you said it, when you're playing at that fast at pace, yeah, you can adjust for possessions, but still, when you're, when you're pushing the ball like on every like made baskets or missed baskets, you're expecting some sloppiness. But they took such good care of the basketball, and I'm going to use the term again, maximizing offensive possessions. They were, according to Synergy, second in turnover percentage in both pick-and-roll ball handler and post-up situations. And first, the pick-and-roll role, man. Granted, they didn't run a ton of pick-and-roll, I don't think. But when you're getting that much out of your offense, like turnovers, I mean, it's huge. It's, it's, not, it's not only a failed offensive possession, but it's a transition chance for the other team most of the time. So, like, for all the deficiencies the team had in their half-court offense, you know, the lack of three-point shooting, uh, like the lack of a secondary ball handler, they really did maximize their opportunities by, one, not turning the ball over, and two, getting to the free throw line a ton, which I think is pretty cool because it kind of flies in the face of this modernization of your offense, you know, the shot selection, which I don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm obviously still on board the Seattle storm and the Washington mystics train as far as shot selection is concerned, but for a team that was clearly not constructed to play that style of basketball, they took offensive efficiency in a whole different direction. And if I could build off that, like I think Lambeer in some ways gets sort of overlooked in terms of how how good of an offense he runs. Like his system, you know, they don't generate a lot of threes, but it's anything but stale. Like right, right? they they do a ton of off ball movement. You know, there are uh, maybe some opportunities that I think that we'll talk about in terms of uh, individuals that we'd like to see increase their playmaking, maybe, but but the bodies are consistently moving. And I think we saw that specifically with Angel McCautry, who we will get to and Dierica Hamby as well. Like they generate a lot of clean looks from the system. And that obviously gets a lot of looks right at the basket. Okay. So now moving on to maybe some, you want to move on to some individual players? Uh, Well, let's go over the, just kind of some base defense numbers first, and then we'll kind of get into the individual. So defensively, obviously they were, they were awesome. They uh, were, Top four in allowing 
transition frequency and second in efficiency allowed. So really got back a ton on defense and transition and, and didn't even in the few opportunities where they were allowing those opportunities, opponents did not score very well. They were number one in defensive rebounding. Uh, not sure if that's really a surprise, but you know, they, again, just in terms of maximizing opportunities on both ends, you know, they were, they were not allowing offensive rebounds. Uh, they allowed the second highest three-point attempt rate in the league, which I don't think is a bad thing necessarily, you know, when the league is shooting 31% from three, you know, letting opponents take those shots. Maybe there was some kind of shooting luck defensively uh, in terms of, you know, they allowed, quote-unquote, the second lowest three-point shooting percentage and the second lowest free throw shooting percentage. Like, obviously, they're not really doing anything to have their opponents miss their free throw attempts. <laughs> and also, you know, per synergy, they allowed the highest proportion of quote-unquote unguarded catch-and-shoot attempts and allowed the second lowest field goal percentage on those unguarded opportunities. How much of that is under their control? How much they're kind of funneling in those opportunities to the players they they want to take them? You know, I think that kind of stuff is up for debate. They were bottom four in forcing turnovers, you know, 11th in steal rate, but they were third in block rates. Uh, no surprise there. Asia continued to put up pretty astounding numbers. I think she had a 5% block rate this season, which is fantastic. But those are kind of some of the fundamentals I just wanted to cover in terms of the overall defensive impact they had. And, and I guess now we can get into some of the individual players and no better place to start than, I guess, than the MVP. Yep. 2020 MVP, Asia Wilson. We've said it before. She she really, well, I mean, maybe dragged is being a little overdramatic. But as far as a play, as one individual player, meaning the most to her team. I mean, she had as good of a case as anybody. I mean, yeah, I think dragged definitely does overstate it because like the second and third best players on those teams both had like 6'10 plus true shooting. So they had some super efficient players on those teams. But I think we both had her second on our MVP, made up MVP ballots, but she was definitely a deserving winner, right? Like no real qualms. Um, she, she was totally. great. The team was much better than we expected. I mean, how much of that was how much of them exceeding our expectations? Like, I, I don't really think a ton of that would be because of Wilson necessarily. She, she kind of did what we thought she would do. And I think the reason I didn't have her in serious MVP consideration coming into the season is, you know, I just didn't think the team would be that good, but obviously they were. So, but, you know, we really saw what Asia Wilson could do without Liz Cambage holding her back, right? That's been the big talk, right? That, that pairing is just uh, not suitable for Asia Wilson Liz is holding her back. Got all the way up to uh, 546 true shooting last year without Cam Beige. Uh, she was 547 the year before, so uh, looks like maybe it was about the same. She got all the way up to 480 effective field goal in, in 2020, um, you know, one point up from 479 in 2019. All that extra space without That's Liz crazy. taking up in the paint. Uh, Wilson was really able to get to the free throw line. Well, not really. It was the exact same free throw attempt rate. So turns out, Asia Wilson is just going to do what Asia Wilson does with or without Liz Cambage there. Like her numbers are staggeringly similar than they were the year before. You'd almost have to like try to put up percentages that close year, year after year. That's, that's, that's uncanny. I know it's, it's really remarkable. Like that year over year consistency is probably luck more than anything. Not, not saying well, that she's okay. a lucky player, but just to have the percentages be that close. But I mean, Wilson was awesome. Obviously like I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek and, you know, the Liz Cambage is just holding her back stuff, but she, she had a great season. She was 75% finishing in the restricted area, which is just amazing. Obviously, like when she got there, she was great. That 436 free throw attempt rate, yeah, it was the same as it was in 2019, but that's still a really, really high still number. Still really good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we saw her just like, and this is, I think, the one instance where she really was dragged. 
dragging a team like in that Connecticut series game five, like she was getting mm-hmm. to the line when they really were not generating anything else offensively. But you know, what else should we talk about with Wilson? Cause I do think there's a lot, but where do you kind of want to go from here? Um, I'll just kind of piggyback off of some of the things that you were saying. Asia, I think one of the reasons she was dragging the team to uh, such a, or, or maybe I should say, I should say it this way. One of the reasons she won MVP was because you look at all these things that the aces did really well and Asia Wilson really embodied most of, if not all of those things, the team was really good at getting to the free throw line. She was really good at getting to the free throw line. The team was really good on defense. She was really good on defense. In fact, I think we could, I think you'd argue that she should have been first team defense, right? I 100% would argue that. I think yeah, she, I mean, she yeah, was she was one of the best defensive players in the league. Really, sure. really good. And it's and that, and this isn't a situation you can maybe say okay, the, the Aces got lucky in in uh, attempt in allowing so many opponents to shoot wide open threes, and the opponents just missed those threes. Asia Wilson, there's nothing that she does that is luck. It is all hard work. It is all skill. It is all physicality. It is 100% of the time. Just an extremely gifted uh, basketball player. I would love to have her as my, as my franchise player. Um, Really, really awesome to see what you did last year. With that being said, uh, let's talk about where she was effective and where she was perhaps not effective. Uh, When she was in the paint, in the restricted area specifically, I mentioned that 75% shooting, uh, 42% in the paint in non-restricted attempts. She took 35% of her shots as non-paint twos. So those are all jump shots, right? And she was 35% on non-paint twos as 35% of her shots. So when you look at her amazing free throw attempt rate, when you look at her great finishing inside and you think, how is this player still not really among some of the best players in terms of her efficiency? It's because she takes 35% of her shots as long twos and she doesn't hit them at such a great rate. How do you feel about this element of her game? Like, is it something that she should continue doing to keep defenses honest? Like, do you think she can develop into a three-point shooter? Should she strictly be maybe like a, a... a quote-unquote center that doesn't play with another post player so she can be 100% in the paint at all times. I mean, obviously her face-up game is, I think, pretty important to her getting to the line yeah. and stuff like that. So, I mean, what are your thoughts there? Well, my thought is, is for one, the face-up game is is so crucial to her. I mean, there's there's pretty much no post player or no frontcourt player in the league who can guard Asia Wilson spotting up because she goes both ways. She's just so explosive. She's so quick and she's so strong. I don't think if you cut the mid-range jumper out of her game completely, it'll kind of take some of that away, which I wouldn't want to do. And she has shown to be a better shooter from that area in the past, correct? Like her first two seasons, I think she was a little better from there. I don't have the numbers in, in front of me in, in this in this aspect. I'm pretty sure she's a pretty decent mid-range shooter. I do think when you talk about long twos, maybe it's more difficult for her. And maybe this is the one way in which um, someone like Liz Cambage will make Asia Wilson better is that she's not going to be so crowded when she's t- shooting those those mid-range twos. I would like to see her extend her range, though. But I, th- I do think it is possible. She's in her water, her third year in the WNBA, and you're not exactly playing for a, a coach who is, is all for his, his frontcourt players shooting threes. So I don't see why not. But you were right, um, 45% shooting on those mid-range attempts last year. Okay. Yeah, granted, the, the non-restricted area paint shots were you know a lower percentage but obviously you know she has shown the ability on on pretty similar volume to be able to make it at a higher but that's the thing about like mid-range jump shots right is they it's a uh, uh, very there's a lot of volatility year to year especially when i think this is a case in which you need to look at um who she's playing next to at center and when you're when you're considering that volatility not everyone is candace dupree shooting the shooting the long two 
So I think one other thing we should maybe touch on is, I guess, like her quote unquote playmaking, Pass, uh, passing, a, a, yeah. a player who already almost never turned it over, but was able to reduce that even further this last year. I think her lack of turnovers, her low turnover numbers are, are really, really impressive when you consider her usage. But that also comes with a player who is not really generating a lot of looks for others. And, and I think she has shown really nice flashes as a passer. So I don't really know you know, maybe she just doesn't look for it enough or she just kind of gets into some modes where she, you know, takeover mode or something like that. But 2.3 assists per 36 minutes, that's a pretty low number for, you know, an MVP caliber player who's one of the leaders in usage. I kind of looked it up. It's very rare for a player to have a usage as high as Asia Wilson did last season and an assist rate as low as Asia Wilson did last season. It's something that's only happened about a dozen or so times in the history of the league. So definitely something to, you know, make note of. It doesn't mean that she's bad or selfish or or anything like that. You know, some players just don't get assists, but it is, you know, something we probably were looking a little bit more for this year, especially with questionable point guard options. You know, D-Rob ended up playing really well, but not a position I think we had a ton of faith in after the Kelsey Plum injury, but obviously, you know, they, they made it work. So yeah, anything to say about Wilson's passing? Yeah, you you said it's only been done a, a handful of times in the WNBA history. Was was Elena Deladon one of those players? Yeah, she was. It feels like okay. See, let, let me let me let me talk about this for a second. So when Deladon was with this guy and she was having her her first MVP caliber season, I think one of the main knocks in her, well, she doesn't pass a lot. And my main response as a Sky fan was, okay, so, so when you have a player who is, what did you say Wilson shot at in, in the restricted area, like seventy? 75%, yeah. Yeah, okay. So if you're shooting 75% in the restricted area and you're getting the free throw line on like 40% of your shooting attempts, I don't care if you don't pass the ball or not, at least in that situation. Because you're so good at finishing plays, I don't need you to pass the ball because like you're not going to generate a better look than you're going to get on your own. Okay, maybe if she um, – maybe the mid-range jumper, like you could that, – that could be another – that could make the extra pass to find an open shooter. But then you run into the question of – who else is shooting the ball on this team? So while I think that the assists and, and turnover rate, well, the assist rate in particular for a player of her usage is, is, is notable, I don't really have a problem with it. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. I mean, the big difference is like Elena Deladon is one of the most efficient players in yeah. history, and Asia Wilson has not been that efficient up to this point, uh, you know, relative to uh, some of the other kind of superstars. But I, I hear you for sure. Like, it's not like she's not passing out to great shooters with great looks. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I definitely think there's something to what you're saying. Okay. Um, and, and I don't mean to, I was kind of being tongue in cheek about the Liz Cambage thing. I was talking about her mid rangers and, and the, the lack of passing and stuff like that. So I, I definitely don't mean to be like too negative about this season because it was an awesome season. And like I said, wasn't my number one choice for MVP, but certainly no huge qualms about it. And she absolutely like, she has an undeniability that I think very few players in the league have in terms of, She's going to force her will on the game, at, especially late in games and especially getting to the free throw line. And I think that is something that we talked last week about Dewana Bonner, who had, she gets the line a lot, but when, when push comes to shove and you're against the best competition, like she, Bonner isn't able to do that against the best players in the league like Wilson is because Wilson is doing it with physicality and with force and rather than quote unquote foul seeking behavior or whatever. So they're, is something too, even if you're not the most efficient player over the course of a season, that undeniability of just being, you know, so much stronger than your competition, having insane footwork and touch around the basket. And, you know, she didn't have a great finals necessarily, but I mean, they had, that's, that's not a real knock. <laughs> yeah. They had 
two to three really solid defenders that were able to go up against her. And that Seattle series also saw a lot more of Emma Cannon. So as her kind of front court partner and, you know, Seattle, I don't think really took that as a legitimate threat. So she's really good. You know, she was definitely a top two player in the league last year, you know, probably top 10 with everybody healthy for sure. I would say closer to five than 10, but yeah, I mean, she was, she was great defensively. Like we said, like I thought she was a better defensive player than like a, a Bree Turner or someone like that, or an Elizabeth Williams who made first team all defense. Um, you know, she matched the Bree Turner block numbers, but in my opinion, a vastly superior team defender. So um, yeah, Asia Wilson's good. She is undeniable. I really like that. I love that word. That's, that's awesome. Uh, okay. So let's, let, let's talk about Angel McCautry. Yeah. Let's talk about where Angel. we were really, really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Angel, I think, why were we wrong about her or why were we hesitant about her? Well, she was coming off a pretty bad knee injury and her game, you know, we saw so many, so many years of Angel carrying the, the Atlanta dream, mostly as a transition player, as a slasher. We weren't really sure how she was going to fit on this Aces roster. She had like one of the greatest, maybe her greatest shooting season ever. On a permanent basis, the best season of her already Hall of Fame career, like in a lot of ways. She had career bests in, I'm just going to run it down because there's quite a few things that she had a career best in. True shooting and effective field goal percentage, career high in two-point field goal shooting, points per 36 minutes, career low in turnover percentage, career high in three-point percentage on the second lowest volume of her career, so maybe that's an important part of it, career high in offensive, defensive, and total rebound percentage. Her offensive rebounding last year for Angel McCautry to get like over 10% offensive rebounds. And that's a huge part of, I think, what made her so effective at the rim was offensive rebounding as well as some other things that we'll get to. Um, But that was a really surprising element of her career. Maybe the low minute totals contributed to how much effort she was able to put towards the glass. Career high in win shares per 40, her second highest assist percentage of her career. The lowest usage since her rookie year, but still over 29%, still third in the WNBA. She had a career high in shooting in the restricted area at uh, 68.9%, so almost 69% finishing in the restricted area. That's a career high by a pretty comfortable margin, albeit again on the lowest frequency of her career, just like her three-point attempt rate. A lot of that, you know, of course, came in transition Uh, 19% of her offense came in transition. So not quite vintage angel, but her highest since 2015, Uh, you know, and that, that 19%, that's a a pretty high number for a player of her usage. You know, most of the players that are around that are are lower usage players. Um, So yeah, we, uh, this is us eating crow, I think on Asia McCautry. Big time. And uh, if I can just go a little deeper into this, um, according to Synergy, she was in the 94th percentile in catch and shoot. 94th and 97th in mid and long range jumpers, respectively. I, I like Angel McCarthy is many things. I would never, I would never describe her as a good jump shooter. But again, like that's, I, I specifically remember asking, um, heading into the season, can Angel McCarthy be second banana? Because she's been the go to player really carrying her team for so long in this league. Can she adjust her game to be that of a, like you said, a lower frequency and lower usage player on a successful team? And the answer is a resounding yes. Granted, like you said, the the minutes limit, but I want to talk about the minutes restriction here. If you need to put a minutes restriction on a player in order to get the best out of them, fine. Do it. I mean, look look at what happened. 
she had one of the best seasons of her career. So that like whoever, whoever decided, okay, Angel, you're playing 21 minutes a game, but you're going all out for those 21 minutes. Congratulations. You're great at your job. You know more about basketball than me. That's, that's really awesome. So yeah, Angel McCartney, she exceeded our expectations. I'd say exceeded a lot of expectations of people out there. And she's a big reason, big reason why the aces went so far, because if you take her out of the equation, you don't really have much going on in the perimeter as far as offense. Yeah. But she really stepped up, not as because, and she was doing angel things. Yeah. But that, that jump shooting was, was huge. And just, just to build off something you were talking about with the minutes, like I definitely have some qualms with Bill Lambier's rotation, which we'll get to uh, with the next player we talk about, but to have the discipline to stick with that kind of like 20 minute a game plan, yeah. you know, her career high, I mean, I'm sorry, her season high in the regular season for that, like did not get much higher than that 20 minutes. Like I, she didn't break 30 minutes in a single game in the regular season, I'm pretty sure. So like I said, the discipline there to just like, you know, not, and it's, it's, I guess, easy when you're winning almost all of your games, but it's something that I think a lot of coaches would have, you know, in a tight game down the stretch somewhere, maybe would have, you know, strayed from that and, and they didn't. And I think it, it worked out great. And it's something, you know, spoiler alert, we're, we're going to get into this later, but it's something I hope they continue this season because we saw such an amazing results from it last year. And because they're, they're probably going to have better, more and more and better players this, this upcoming season too. But anything else about Angel or do you want to move on to Dierica Hamby? Uh, no, I have a little bit more actually. She, okay. I wanted to touch on her offensive rebounding a, a little bit more. She was ninth in the league in offensive rebounding. Angel McCautry, three offensive rebounds per 36 minutes. She had uh, 37 total offensive rebounds and 39 points on putbacks. So she was very, very opportunistic in terms of getting those points. Her scoring, I, I just kind of wanted to go into it a little bit more. Like she's just too strong for guards. You know, anytime a guard would get on her, she would just put them right in the weight room, finish for, uh, from either side of the basket. She, they really like to run this play for her where she would kind of start out on the baseline and curl around like an Asia Wilson screen on around the mid block. I think this, when I think of like Asia Wilson's season with the aces, I think of like this play, I feel like we've seen it so many times where she just kind of curls around the mid block and, and just gets some momentum on the catch to be already be attacking the basket before she even catches the basketball. So that was really great for, for her. She uh, was really effective. I thought in getting to the basket and pick and roll as well. Like she, especially if they were kind of playing a, a drop coverage, like she was still getting like still blowing by, I guess the, um, the rollers or, or the screeners defender in those instances. Uh, and then one thing I'm not a hundred percent sure is really going to carry over. She shot 50% in the paint in the non-restricted area. She's a 40% career shooter from that area. So she was well above her career norms there. You know, that's something that you could see maybe dropping off a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, she was still really effective at turning defense into offense. You know, she, she kind of gambles a lot for sure. She was fourth in steal rate, but that was definitely a big part of her transition effectiveness. But, you know, unless you have something to, to add from there, I did kind of want to get into it, but we can move on to Dierica Hamby. Yeah, let's move on to Hamby. She won the award that you get when you uh, score the most points coming off the bench if that's what you want to call that award. Uh, but she was, again, terrific. Uh, one, another one of those players who we said we expected to be good, and, and she was good. Yep, not a bench player, though. Uh, she, she certainly didn't start games, but uh, she was second on the team in minutes played, second in, uh, in total minutes played, second in per-game minutes played. Uh, she played 25 total games this season, so 50 halves. Of those 50 halves, she played either the 
entire remainder of the half after coming in or just played the entire second half in some of those games. Uh, 29 of 50 instances, uh, 29 of 50 halves, she you know either started the second half and played the entirety of it or played the whole half after coming in. So 60% of the time, which is just asinine minute management. We, we praised Bill with uh, McCautry, but he definitely deserves some criticism here. And you know this is something you do when you just kind of want to win an award for your player, which congratulations, you got her, her award. So that's great. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, it was a, a truly outstanding season. Like Hamby was awesome. She was really, really good. And I think she's, she's a player who just continues to get better. When, when she first got into the league, Dierka Hamby was, you know, purely an effort, an energy player. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, effort is a skill. Energy is a skill, at least in my opinion. But she didn't really have, she just wasn't, didn't have that, I want to say undeniability because you already used that word for a, a, a really good player. But she just didn't have that major role in the offense that she does now. And I think it's really cool. Yes, the three-point shot has come around. Yes, the ball skill has come around. But she just seems so much more patient and, and comfortable in her role. And I'm not going to say it's because she's coming off the bench because it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, she's a, she's a starter. But she's so good at getting out in transition for a big. It's something that her combined with Wilson, although Wilson could get out more in transition as well, but for a high-usage player, that's, as you said, that's that's difficult. Hamby is that player who, who you come off the bench and – players on the other team just go oh now we got to deal with her you know she just affects the game in so many ways that both show up on the box score and don't yeah and it was a career season for Hamby 612 true shooting that that's a career high she shot 55 percent on twos she went 18 for 38 from three which is a great percentage in the 40s you know we'll see how much of that can carry over I know I think you've expressed some uh, hesitation in the past in terms of calling her like a stretch big or something like that. Yeah. But almost 60% of her shots come from within five feet, which is awesome. She finishes almost 70% when she gets there. So she's a, a terrific, terrific finisher inside. And I feel like a lot of that is really taking advantage of when a smaller player gets switched onto her, but she's able to, you know, score on like just fours that are not as strong as her as well. You know, it's not like it, it's all against mismatches. I have a, a couple recollections of like you know her putting like gabby williams in the goal or something like that but um it's some some thinner you know not as strong fours that that she's able to uh get in the post as well and 93rd percentile on post-ups uh so extremely effective the transition game we mentioned 62 plays finishing in transition that's one of the highest numbers in the league a lot of those coming off her own steals as well like i think i i, I counted at least a dozen of her own steals that she just like took to the house uh, she was 93rd percentile as a roller, albeit that was kind of on pretty low volume. We've mentioned her effectiveness, I guess, as a, a cutter. You know, she, I think, has a great knack for cutting, you know, particularly coming off a screen away from the ball. You know, she, she'll be the screener and then she'll just get right to the front of the rim. Uh, that's, you know, something that she does extremely well. Her face-up game, I think, when she's kind of moving right off the catch, you know, doesn't have to uh, take a ton of dribbles before starting her move. You know, not a lot of uh, traditional bigs can keep up with her, I think. So, and then she gets to the rim a lot and she finishes when she gets there. So uh, whether or not I think the three-point shot is, you know, consistent, I think, you know, it's not that important, I think, for her success, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she already does so many things so well. She's, I this this term can be used as a as a bit of a knock, but, She's such a good complimentary player. 
if there's a player who you could have playing next to Asia Wilson, or if if, if you're forced to choose um, like front court player like Biggs playing next to Asia Wilson, she would be near the top of my list. But she'd also be near the top of my list if I'm choosing really any other star big, because she's so good at moving out the basketball. She brings so much energy. She's not afraid to do the dirty work, quote unquote. Um, and like I said, she just continues to get better. She she uh, she's such a good effort player. She brings so much energy. She's she's awesome. Yeah, and she's a great third big to have with the Wilson Cambage pairing because right. she fits well with both of those players. But also, you know, if you want to play all three of them together, there's not a ton of teams out there where you know playing Hamby at the three is going to kill you. There are some for sure, um, but it's not something where you know it's it's unmanageable. Like if if you want to roll out those lineups, most of the time you well, can definitely. That, that, that's another thing. Like her on defense, she's pretty valuable on defense as well because she's she can switch and not kill you. Yeah, no, she's, uh, I think, has really good perimeter skills defensively and can hold up, you know, okay against most of the bigger players. You know, I think when you really get, you know, the, the best centers in the league, I think maybe are a little much, but almost everyone else, you know, you feel fine with Hamby there. Well, you've got the personnel to deal with the best centers in the league through the aces. Do you, do you want to talk about Jackie Young? You've got some stuff on Jackie Young. Yeah, I mean, how did you feel about Jackie Young's second season? Um, I think she got better at a lot of things she needed to get better at, which is for one would be the finishing at the rim or getting to the rim. Actually, I think she got to the rim less. Did she get to the rim less? She, she was better at finishing for sure. I think as a rookie, the game was just too quick for her. The game was just too fast. I don't think there's really any other explanation for a player who is, who's built like that and who is, who had so much success finishing at the rim at the previous level to come in and just consistently brick layups like she did as a rookie. But she got so much better as a sophomore. I feel like she, the game got a lot slower for her. And her, you could just see how much more confident she was. Not just finishing, but at you know, getting into the paint and going with the counter, like, like going with the turnaround jump shot or, or leaning in and drawing the foul. It, it feels like she actually had a plan when she was attacking the basket, and that was a more defined role for her. Granted, she was not playing with the ball in her hands as often, and maybe that was the key, Stephen. Yeah, that's always, I think, the question that I'm – have been kind of bouncing around in my head like is should she be just a three should she kind of run backup offenses but the role that she kind of settled into last season was a really successful one for her and you mentioned I think the biggest part of that which was the finishing at the rim and you could tell you know I know the folks that watched her in college obviously expected a lot of her you know those specific skills her to be able to finish at the rim I think even just kind of watching her rookie season you know she could get to the rim you know, that wasn't a problem she was able to kind of physically overpower her defender in so many instances and then you just kind of saw the layup roll out a lot like and I think that was a case of what you were saying where things were just maybe moving a little bit too fast you know the the touch wasn't quite there against pros she shot under 34 percent in the restricted area last year which is you know pretty terrible for anyone and that was more so for me that was kind of what was gonna get her to be a successful WNBA player more so than even the three point shot, which I think a lot of, a lot of people focused on rightly so because she's a complimentary player and complimentary player take spot up jump shots. You know what I mean? But that finishing got up to 70% around the rim in her second season, her overall shooting from two improved from 32%, which again is, is very, very bad to 51% because she improved in pretty much every area. We, we mentioned the around the rim numbers, but she went from just under, 32% on non-restricted area paint twos. So kind of, and those were a lot of her uh, attempts. I think she would kind of 
get her shoulder into her defender and pull up for the jumper, like just about one step out of the, the restricted area. And she can those at 49% last season. So that's a really, really solid number. Mm-hmm. Uh, non-paint twos, she went from 31% her rookie season to 48%. So, you know, the, the three-point shot was, you know, worse in a lot of ways her second season. But overall, the offensive game, I think, for her and what she feels comfortable with just made a lot more sense this year. Yeah, and you know, Steven, I think this might be a case in which you need to, to learn to walk and sit before you learn to run. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to say, because one of the things I remember you saying about Jackie Young is, after her rookie season, she needs to become her, she needs to score better at all three levels. Well, shoot, take, take, that, that's a pretty large step to take in, in, in one season. It's, that's, that's not going to happen. So she got better at the things, like I said, that she needed to get better at. She needed to get better at finishing at the rim because she was already good at, as you said, kind of getting those defenders as she was driving the ball on her hip and, and, and just going up and finishing with it. And then also the mid-range shot. I don't think she's got like the best mechanics in the world. To be, she, I mean, she's not going to become prime Simone Augustus out there, but as she's slowly, this is something I'm going to watch from, for Jackie in the, in the future now. Can she successfully extend her game year by year? I think there are a lot of examples of, of players, both in the WNBA and in the NBA, doing that where they come into the league and they're not really good at any one offensive level. And then they get in first, they get better at finishing at the rim. Then they get better at, at taking the mid range shot. Then finally they become a respectable three point shooter. So now my question is, is it realistic to expect Jackie young to kind of take that route or is she always going to be, or is she always going to be like a, a free throw line and below type of offensive player? I think, with time, I could see her becoming a respectable three-point shooter. I don't think it'll be next year, and you know that's. I don't think her focus should be because we've already seen, like how she can be a successful player, you know, without that element of her game. And you mentioned her mechanics. I, I think her mechanics are a big reason why she's such a, in my evaluation at least, her two-point pull-up jumpers have been so much more successful than her spot-up three-point jumpers because her, her three-point shot, you know. Her, her feet are so far apart, which is not really something that you're doing when you're pulling up off the dribble, right? Because your feet are just kind of in a more natural position as you're kind of making a, a dribble motion and, and pulling up for that shot. So I think a lot of it does come from maybe her just, you know, thinking about it too much. Her three-point shot is extremely inconsistent. You know, she kind of shoots, you know, she doesn't really start her release until she gets to the very top, whether it be on a two-point jumper or a three-point jumper. But, you know, those are a little bit easier to make when you're closer in, right? The three-point shot can be extremely flat. And I think a lot of that comes from the footwork that we were talking about, where that's a little bit more consistent on on the dribble jumpers that are a little bit closer. So, I mean, yeah, we would like to see her score, her scoring improve at all three levels, but she dramatically improved at two of the three levels. And I think for now that that's fine. Yeah. It's just whether those things alone offensively, you know, one thing that we saw from Jackie Young is that she really killed this team when they got to the highest levels of the playoffs. So, I mean, can, can you be a, a, can she specifically be a positive playoff contributor without that last element? I, I don't know. And that's a really fair question because there aren't a lot of players like Jackie Young in the league. And that is perimeter players who are so good at finishing at the rim and so bad at shooting the three. It's and then and then like they don't really, but they're playing off the ball. So it's just such a weird player archetype, you know. Yeah, hearing you describe it, it almost kind of reminded me of like um, 
a younger Natasha Cloud, but one, I don't think Cloud was that strong when no. she was kind of in her I can't shoot days. And, you know, she was, I think her floor game was just a lot, a lot better in terms of, yeah. you know, we really saw the playmaking decrease from Jackie Young. But it, it, to me, it was so much more than just the assist numbers. Like she just doesn't have that type of floor game. Exactly. So, so when, you, when you talk about is Jackie Young a point guard or is she a wing? I have to go somewhere in the middle. I have to say she's a wing with like limited playmaking ability. Yeah, I she's think not gonna, she's not going to be your primary ball handle. We we saw how that worked out in 2019. That's something maybe she can get better at it, but you don't want her running your offense. Yeah, and they pretty much eliminated that in 2020. I think she only played about 20% of her minutes without one of Lindsey Allen or D Rob on the court, and I think that was for the better of the team. Absolutely. So let's talk about 2021. This is a little bit different than kind of the episodes we had been doing. You know, Phoenix, they're pretty much bringing in the same team. You know, they, they got some wing help in Kia Nurse and Megan Walker. You know, they'll be reintroducing Griner. So things will be a little bit different, but most of the same roster for sure. Connecticut is pretty much the same team, essentially just swapping out Alyssa Thomas for Jonquil Jones. This team, Vegas, they're, they're kind of dramatically different than what they were last year, at least from a roster perspective. I think a lot of their fundamentals will probably be the same, but they are swapping out three starters pretty much with Gray, Cambage, and I think I expect at least Kelsey Plum to be a starter, uh, replacing McBride and Swords, and then the Lindsey Allen, D-Rob combination of starters. Uh, so overall, coming in for this team, Chelsea Gray, Raquana Williams, and likely the number 12 pick. Returning to this team, Liz Cambage, Kelsey Plum, and Jisoo Park, maybe? And departing from this team, Kayla McBride, D-Rob, Lindsay Allen, Carolyn Swords, and Sugar Rogers are, I guess, the most notable ones. So, I mean, what do you think this rotation is going to look like? If you say this team might not have much depth, I, I hear you. But come playoff time, I'm not sure that's going to matter as much. And what I see right now is a team that has so much talent, like one through seven or one through eight, however, wherever you want to cut it off, with some, I'll say it again, stagger ability. You can go small and you can play Asia Wilson at the five. You can, as you said, you can play Dierka Hamby with either Wilson or Cambage. You can play Plum at either guard position. So while they're, I'm pretty sure they're going to have to go with 11 players. That's not, a, it's, it's not a horrible thing though. Because when you're that front loaded with talent, but you also have some positional versatility, I don't think it's going to kill you. No, and I think Plum is... The big, I think, um, question mark for me here, like she suffered that Achilles injury. Well, well, I guess we don't know exactly when when she suffered it, right? But it was reported in uh, June 11th, I believe. But she signed her extension in mid-May. So I think it's pretty fair to guess that the injury happened somewhere between, you know, the middle of May and early June when, when it was reported. So that's about a year out from the start uh, or the expected start of this season. So assuming she's 100%, like I think this team's in pretty good shape. Assuming Hamby also is 100%, I think this team is in pretty good shape. But Yeah, is she healthy or no? Like we never really heard about. Plum or Hamby? Hamby. Oh, so I, I mean, we never got clarification on what the injury was, I believe. But I know there was reporting that she would not need surgery for the injury. So I guess that's a positive, that's but, good, but it would be nice what to was it? <laughs> what the injury was. Um, but nevertheless, you know, they can, they can have one of gray or plum on the court at all times, which I think is nice. You have uh, some, some good point guard depth there. 
you know, you're going to have an all WNBA caliber big on the court at all times with Wilson and Cambage. I would hope slash expect that the McCautry minutes program is going to be pretty similar to what we saw last year. And, you know, Jackie Young, I think, is um, a pretty good regular season player to kind of take the rest of those 20 minutes and, and maybe some minutes filling in with uh, the backcourt as well. And I think actually playing Kelsey Plum and Raquana Williams together with Jackie Young, like that's, that's a pretty good combination, I think, to complement what Jackie Young does well and what she doesn't do well. Sure. I, I do think they'll probably, you know, need a ninth player to kind of fill out that rotation. You know, I, I like their top eight a lot. So I don't know if that's Cannon. I don't know if that's Park. I don't know if that's the number 12 pick as more of a perimeter player. But this team should be really, really good. And I guess, well, one question I do want to talk about just in terms of the rotation itself is, is there any doubt about who the closing five on this team is going to be? I don't think so. And this is, this is probably one of the reasons why you want to save Angel McCaudry so she can close for this team. But I, I'm assuming you're talking about who's going to be at the two, right? Well, I guess it's, is it, is it Plum at the two or is it McCaudry playing at the two with Hamby and the three in the kind of three big lineup? Nah, I wouldn't do that. Well, think about it. Think about it this way. It, assuming Cambage and Wilson are both going to be playing together again that's a lot of your possessions that are going to be used posting up. Right. So I, I don't think Angel at the two and Hamby, I don't think that'd be good. I, I think you need to keep Plum in there. If, if not for her shooting, for her playmaking, I understand like the defense might be a concern, but I think it's a lesser of two evils here. Unless, you, I mean, unless you, if I can interrupt, I think the defense is in a way kind of why you keep Plum in that lineup because who else is going to guard point guards? Like Chelsea Gray has not been guarding point guards for a while. Kelsey Plum is really their only option to guard a Skylar Diggins-Smith or a Courtney. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see how the Achilles is feeling in in that respect. But, you know, I I think that's, you're right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Unless you believe Raquana Williams is like a game finisher, but I, I don't think so. I think they just got her kind of, she's a more versatile scorer than Sugar Rogers, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if she just comes in to fill the Sugar Rogers role. Yeah. She's kind of an innings eater, I think on this. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good analogy. Okay. So yeah, I think we're we're in agreement that Hamby seems unlikely to to really close games at the highest level for this team. Not not because she can't, but just because they they have their five pretty well figured out, right? Well, but now that now that you say now that I actually hear you saying that, do you want Hamby not closing games? This is a good problem to have, though. But where does she fit there? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it all depends on how. Plum looks, but we're talking, you know, come playoff time when yeah. she's had some time to play herself back into shape to kind of get in rhythm after the injury. You know, I think she'll look a little bit different at the end of the season, hopefully, than she does at the start of the season. I, I think Hamby's the odd player out there, but, you know, it, they have optionality, which I guess is nice. And maybe, you know, there aren't too many point guards, I think, that kind of fall into that, that category of like, you need a point guard defender to match up with him. You know, you can, you can get away with whoever you need to guard. Sue Bird is great, but like, she's not like, you don't feel terrible about Chelsea. He's not going to blow by you. And get to the right. right. I mean, Leilani Mitchell, like I think Chelsea Gray would be fine against Natasha cloud. Like is Leilani Mitchell even going to close games for them? So, you know, Vandersloot and, and Diggins Smith, I think at least off the top of my head are really the only two point guards that you're thinking like, okay, I need a point guard defender on the court to match up with this player. That's good. That's that's actually an interesting scenario. I hadn't thought about this before, but it seems weird to not have like your five best players on the floor. But I think I agree tentatively that Hamby is the odd woman out in this scenario. 
But we'll see what they do. I mean, it's like I said, it's a good problem to have, right? And if there's any coach that's going to move McCautry up to the two and play yeah. the three to close games, it's it's this one. So yeah, defend up. Uh, so let, let's talk about strengths and weaknesses. I think they're still you know pretty consistent year over year. Scoring mm-hmm. at the rim, I think, is going to be a strength. You know, Liz, Asia, Hamby, Angel McCautry. Transition offense, I imagine, will still be a strength of theirs. I mean, all of their top eight outside of Cambage and Jackie Young should be overwhelmingly positive players in transition, I would imagine. Getting to the free throw line, two seasons in a row now, they've been leading the league and getting to the free throw line offensively. Turning the ball over, they never do it. They haven't done it for the last two seasons. Top four each of the last two years. I'm sure Gray will add to that a little bit, but I'm still thinking this will be a strength. Maybe you disagree. Defensive rebounding will be a strength for this team. You have to imagine defending the rim will be a strength to this team as, as it always will be. And something that you mentioned with Phoenix and you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, you know, stagger ability, the ability to have a really solid point guard option, a really solid uh, center option, you know, uh, all WNBA center option, perfectly serviceable backup wing in Jackie Young to help with, with Angel. So I, I think, you know, they don't have 12 good players for sure, but they have eight really, really good players. And you can always have a pretty decent lineup on the floor with this team. Any other strengths that come to mind for you? I mean, you said it. Their biggest strength is having a lot of good players. <laughs> that just solves so many things. I would rather have, you know, eight, eight all WNBA. This is, this is an exaggeration, but I'd rather have eight all WNBA players and than 12 decent players. It's, that's just the way the game goes. Um, yeah, I think I agree that their strengths from last year are probably largely going to carry over. When you look at this team, they're going to get better. I mean, talent-wise, they're, they're going to get – a whole lot better, but I think they're going to play mostly the same way. So I can't see them getting any, getting a lot better or a lot worse in really any category. Maybe, maybe passing the ball, you know, maybe they'll get better at passing the ball because Chelsea Gray is, is, you know, such a gifted passer, but we'll we'll see how they want to play. Are they going to run more pick and roll? Can they run more pick and roll when you have two, two centers basically on the floor at all times? I I don't know. And Chelsea Gray isn't like the, you know, she, she's a great passer and a great point guard, but she's not like running pick and roll. Right. She's not like a ball dominance. You know, she's not, she's not, you're not running everything through her. Like you are like a Courtney Bannistude. So, okay. Uh, Weaknesses for this team. Um, Floor spacing could be a weakness. You know, I think that's fair to say depth. You know, we, we just mentioned how many good players they have, but those are essentially their only WNBA rotation caliber players. They pretty much have eight of them. You know what I mean? So if Hamby or Plum aren't all the way back from injury, you know, things could get really thin for them, I think. What, what else is a weakness? You know what I mean? I, 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 don't, I struggle to come up with a lot of weaknesses for them. I think one thing you mentioned earlier, I don't know if it's a weakness um, as part of their scheme. It's that, you know, they allow the, the highest proportion of, what was it, open unguarded catch and shoots or, or open three-pointers? Or That's true, like yeah. That? They, they do open, uh, allow a lot of threes and a lot of open jump shots. So. But, they, but, they're, but the percentage against was the best. There's got to be some luck in that. I mean, you look at that year by year, that's, that's, there's a lot of variance there. So I'm going to say that's a weakness for now. I don't care how good or bad the league is. I, I don't want my team to be allowing the most open three-pointers in the league. That's just me. But I think this is a clear case of a team just having a ton more strengths than it does weaknesses. Okay, so I wanted to finish up here. Like, how do you see this team relative to the rest of the league? I, I know my answer, but also, you know, I think we both consider this team a title contender. Do yeah. they match up like well or match up poorly against any other title contenders? Like, how, how do you see them kind of matching up against the other teams that you kind of have in consideration? 
Well, let's let's go by them one by one. Chicago, they've struggled with Chicago in the past. Chicago got better. I think Chicago may be able to give them problems, but I'm not I'm, I'm not sure Chicago would be the favorite in that scenario either. My thinking about the Chicago is how does Chicago's four or five like I have a hard time seeing Azure Stevens yeah. up for a five game series against someone like Asia Wilson. You know, Stevens they're just too right. big. Yeah, that's. that's and that's and that's not a and when you think about the direction that the game is going, that's not something that you normally say. Uh, like a, a pro basketball team has a huge, huge advantage. Like, oh well, they're just too big for the other team. No, I mean but that's, when those when those two bigs are you know right. caliber players. This is a special. This is an exception. I think. How about Minnesota? Because I think Minnesota is a team that could give the Aces problems. You know, Minnesota. You know, I th- I think Minnesota is maybe not as good at first blush as. Washington or Chicago, but I do think they're a team that can just play in a different type of way and really spread things out in a way that that, that might spell trouble for Vegas. You know, they they have we've talked about it after the free agency recaps. They are another team with a lot of optionality, and you know, if they go with um, a, a smaller lineup it, with maybe like a, a Collier at the five or something like that, you know, they might be hard pressed to hang with Vegas down low, but you know, threes are, are worth more than twos and maybe they can just, just play in a different style that this team wouldn't necessarily be equipped to play against. Yeah. The only worry I would have about that is, is, is how healthy is Sylvia Fowles and can she, does she have enough left in the tank to play in a five game playoff series? Yeah. I mean, hopefully we, we just get a, a healthy version of Fowles. And I think, yeah. you know, she's about as good of a matchup against these two great centers as you can get. So definitely agree. Um, and, and now you mentioned Washington. How does, how does Washington match up here? I mean, if Washington is closing with Tina Charles, I think Vegas, like it, it makes things a lot easier for this team specific for Vegas specifically. And I mean, like we'll get to it, I guess when we get to it, but I, it, who is the closing five for Washington? And, and when Washington was, you know, at their peak, you know, we saw a really good playoff series from Vegas. We did. That's matching true. up and they're better now with Angel McCautry than they were then. You know, they have Chelsea Gray now. So I, and I the think Mystic, and the Mystics well. may or may not have Emma Mieseman. We still don't know. Yeah. So I, I think they match up pretty well with Washington, all things considered. So, so me personally, I have this team in tier one, kind of like a half tier by themselves. I would consider them like title favorites, but not like I wouldn't be surprised if one of the other teams that championship contenders ended up winning. You know, they're not. It's, so not, it's not a hands down thing, right? But it's I not, do think they are the most talented team in the league. Yeah, I would say so. I, uh, there's not like the inevitability like there was last year with Seattle, or or I would even say Washington in Washington in 2019. It's going to be interesting to see when you you brought it up in a good way because you talk about matchups. Like, yeah, I think they're going to struggle more against Minnesota than they would against Chicago or they might be better against Chicago than they would be against Washington, but only if Washington, you know, there, there's so many moving parts that still have yet to be. And that's, and that's the cool thing about this. You know, there's, there's no hands down favorite right now. I think that's good for the league. Um, but when you look at, I mean, when you look at the aces on paper, yeah, you can say that the game is played on wood, not paper, but it's hard to not pencil this team in at least for now as, as favorites. Anything else you wanted to cover with this team? I mean, I think, Not really. Yeah. Uh, you, you said there's a, I think it's pretty straightforward for this team, which is kind of why we're doing this now and not after the draft. Um, they're going to be a, a heck of a team. That's <laughs> I'm not going to want to play against them. We'll put it that way. No, and they should be fun. I'm I really like uh, genuinely excited to see how, how Chelsea Gray fits into all this, you know, what, what they kind of do with their rotation, how they close games. Um, you know, we, we kind of made our own opinions 
thoughts about what it could look like, but I could see Bill doing a, a lot of different things. Yeah. And, and you know, here's one thing, and I guess I'm going to leave this for the end. So if, if you listened all the way to the end, congratulations, you're going to get a very off brand comment from me after talking this through. Cause you know, sometimes you, you, you do, you do need to talk these things through or, or bounce some ideas off of other people in order to, to, to get uh, a different perspective. I do have more respect for Bill Ambira as, as a head coach because yeah, you can say, okay, well, the lack, the, the lack of three-point shooting, I mean, that's, that's obvious. Or the three-point shooting from the other team, yeah, they're due for some regression there. But when you, when you bring up how their team moves without the basketball and how they're so good in so many areas that you need to be good at in order to win a championship, rebounding, playing in the paint, free-throw differential, that's, that's Lambeer basketball. And he got a lot out of this team last year that not a lot of people thought were, were going to go that far. So, hey, I don't, this is, like I said, this is off brand for me. I'm not the biggest Bill Lambeer fan. I think he did an amazing job last year. And I'm more excited to watch this team this season than, than I thought it would be. With that being said, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend if you think someone would enjoy this. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcast Manager, on Spotify. Eric, thank you. As always, this was, this was fun. It was nice talking to you. Very fun. Likewise, sir.